So for this year, we have been working our way through the book of Luke, and today we find ourselves in a really dark period in the story. And before we dig into this, I need to take a few minutes and kind of remind us of what has been going on. And a lot's been going on. And before we even get into the details of that, I want to remind you that this is narrative. Okay, so in the, in the New Testament, actually in the Bible, uh, sometimes we forget that the Bible is actually not a book. It's a collection of 66 books. And each one of those books are different. There's some that are letters, there's some that are poetry, there's some, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts are narrative. Now that's a fancy way to say there's somebody telling a story. And so sometimes we get confused because Matthew will have one thing in one order and Luke will have it in a different order. And some people, even if you watch the History Channel around Easter or Christmas, there'll be people with PhDs and stuff that get on TV and they'll say, see, they can't even agree with when stuff happened. And that's not how we tell stories, right? I mean, if David Holmes were to come up here and tell you a story, and if David Holmes were to come up here, I guarantee he would tell you a story, uh, and David were telling you a story, he's telling the story because he's trying to make a point. He's not necessarily telling it in the order that it happened. That's not how we tell stories. How we tell stories is, is one time I was going along and this happened and that happened, and oh, you know what? Just like that, this other thing happened over here, and that's how we tell stories. We have a reason why we tell stories. There's a purpose for us to tell it, and each one of the Gospels has the reason why they're telling their story. And Luke has made it really clear. If you recall, since March, as we dug around in Luke, you'll know that Luke emphasizes Jesus' teaching. He tells the story in a way to remind us that the kingdom of God is at hand. Over and over and over again, the disciples are saying, when? The, the Pharisees are saying, when? The, the, everybody's going, when's all this going to happen? And Jesus has to be to the point where he's going, oh, will you please listen to the words that I'm saying? The kingdom is here now. The king is in front of you. And so we understand how stories work, so let's look at how Luke has told his story. So we come into Holy Week, the week that Jesus is going to die. It started out with the triumphant entry. Jesus goes and gets the donkey, and he goes into the city, and all the city's standing around, and all the people are there going, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. The city is packed because it's the week before Passover. People have traveled from all over the Levant to come to Israel so that they can come to the Passover, and here they see the king has come. And there's cheering, and there's excitement, and there are palm branches on the road, and there are people who have laid their coats down, and Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. And then everybody's excited. Everybody's expecting this king to take his throne. Jesus does that and goes back to Bethany. What What are you doing, Jesus? That Monday, he's walking from Bethany, the five or six miles back to Jerusalem. He passes a fig tree and curses it. He comes out up above Jerusalem as he's coming toward the city. 
And Jerusalem, is a, there's hills all around, and as he tops that one hill coming up from Bethany, he can see the city laid out in front of him. And he just weeps because he knows even though they claim they're ready for a king, they are certainly not ready for somebody to take the kingship. And he weeps over the city. Oh, that I could just gather you up the way a hen gathers up her chicks to protect you. And then he goes into the city after he weeps over the city and he flipped the tables and he cleansed the temple. And if you remember when we looked at these, we saw that both of those reactions come from the same heart. The Pharisees immediately come to Jesus and say, Who do you think you are? What gives you the right to come in here flipping tables, running people off? And so the next day on Tuesday, Jesus is, goes back to Bethany that night. He then comes back to Jerusalem. They pass the fig tree that the day before Jesus had cursed. And shockingly, the fig tree's dead. He goes in and he debates with the leaders. They, they come to him with questions. They're very unhappy with him. He tells parables. If you remember, he kind of he walks them through the parable of the, the, the ten minas, and we talked about that, the, the, the whole idea of talents, and that all the money came from God. He, he walks them through uh, the parable of the wicked tenants, the people who were renting space, and yet they thought to themselves, you know what, we'll just take all this. And then Someone brought to him the, the coins. And if you recall, we talked about this, that Jesus is standing here. He's teaching the people who are all standing around. You've got the scribes, the Pharisees, and the high priests and the elders standing here questioning him and his disciples right there. And Jesus kind of shifts around. Sometimes he's talking to the crowd. Hey, sometimes he's talking to them. Sometimes he backs up and he goes, now listen, as you, I want you to take from this. And so he's teaching all of them as he goes. And he teaches in the temple all day Tuesday. He tells parables, and then finally, as they're leaving on that day, after an exhausting day of teaching, after confrontational conversations, he's walking through the temple. He overhears somebody saying, man, this place is awesome. Look at how awesome it is. And Jesus says, yeah, you think it's awesome, but someday not one of these rocks are going to be standing on the other. So, again, the question is asked to Jesus, when's that going to happen? And Jesus responds, and he teaches them what's called the Olivet Discourse, and he goes through what all is going, going to happen. And we talked about that. So there's a near context for that that occurred in 70 AD and a far context that we're still looking for. But, again, here's some exhausting teaching. He completes that teaching. At the end of that Tuesday, Wednesday, Jesus, we don't even see him. Jesus stays in Bethany, but one of his friends, one of the people who've been with him throughout his ministry, we focus in on him. The text tells us, now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, where at Wednesday, Thursday night is when Jesus is going to celebrate the Passover, so it's close at hand. It's Christmas Eve. It's Passover Eve. Here they are. They're, they're ready to go. The Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. 
and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death. Now, that's not new information to us. Throughout the book of Luke, for the last three chapters, we've been seeing the confrontation between Jesus and these leaders. They don't like him. They don't like the fact that he walked into the temple and humiliated them by flipping tables and running people off. He, they don't like that Jesus, in his teaching, has directly assaulted their position of power. They don't like that he's undermining their political power. How dare you not recognize that our faith can be a means for us to control this country. They don't like that Jesus bowed back on that and said God's kingdom is not of this world. You render unto Caesar what's Caesar, but you render unto God what is God. There's constant conflict, and we see that. In Luke 20, uh, as Jesus was teaching, the text says, one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priest and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things. Now, we've talked about this. We, we, we know that this is coming. Jesus responds to them and says, I'm going to ask you a question. Was John the Baptist of the Lord? Did John the Baptist come from God or was his miracles of man? They said to themselves, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death. For they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. They took the coward's way out. And so Jesus, humiliating them, said, well, you know what then? If you don't have the guts to answer my question, I'm not answering yours. So in front of all those people, these people who were supposed to be the highly educated, the people who were supposed to be the people who knew what was going on, Jesus completely and totally humiliates them. And Luke 20, just a few verses later, in the hearing of all the people, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive their greater condemnation. Here Jesus has a massive crowd around him. The scribes, the Pharisees, and the elders are standing there questioning him. All these people can hear what's going on. The text says, in the hearing of all the people. So Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey, these guys are losers. Don't be like them. They walk around so that people will say that they're spiritual. They walk around wearing long robes. They think they're all that, and yet they devour widows' homes. Don't be like them. I mean, just imagine if you were in a crowd of people, you're at the, the convention center, or city hall or someplace, there's a whole bunch of people standing around, and some dude says, hey, don't be like him. How angry that would make you. How dare he? Especially people who are used to everybody thinking that they're awesome. These people were never interested in real truth. In verses 19 and 20 of Luke 20, it says, The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people, 
So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. The parable that Luke is referring to is Jesus had just said, the stone that the builders rejected became the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and he who falls on any, if it falls on anyone, they will be crushed. Scribes and Pharisees are angry with him. They want to seize him right there, but they know that all the people love him, and if they do, that it will cause problems. And so being the scheming, conniving, wicked men that they were, they decided to put together a plan. They didn't know how it was going to work out, but they were looking for any angle they could get to kill this Jesus. Now, one of the things also that's repeatedly said in the book of Luke is Jesus had told his disciples, I've got to die. I've got to lay down my life. Peter even corrected Jesus. Pulled him aside and said, hey, uh-uh. no, 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 no. But Jesus had told him over and over and over again. And it's, as you read the text, it almost feels like, and those of you that are reading along, we're about to hit that in Matthew where Jesus says that. And it's like, you, 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 are, do these people, are they struggling with a learning disability? He keeps saying this and they keep going, what? I don't understand what you're talking about. It seems really clear to us. Why can you not get this? This week, I was uh, at the gym, uh, snap over here, and I was, was trying a new, new thing, where uh, workout that's like you're watching a video, and they're like making you do heels and go faster here and there, and so I'm really in, in, into this, and, and, and I'm, I'm doing a heel, so I'm, I've got the treadmill like up on nine, so I can barely breathe at this point, you know, I'm seeing spots, those, that, that kind of moment, and then all of a sudden, the music cuts off in my, ear, my headphones, and the phone rings. And I try to answer it. It was Lizzie, and I try to answer it, and it wouldn't answer, and she wouldn't pick up. And I'm, now I'm, I'm aggravated because I'm, I'm trying to run up this hill on a treadmill, and, and, and she would call, and I couldn't talk to her. And, and so finally she got somewhere where she could connect to me, and she said, I'm driving down there. And it was pouring rain outside. It was, it was that, that night where it rained so hard, and I can barely hear her because she's driving in the Miata, and I hear her say, my brakes are out. And I'm going down the road. I don't know what to do. And she's, bah, bah, bah. and I said, pull over. And she's like, I, 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 it's raining and it's a curtain. I pull over. And, and, I, and she kept talking, telling me what was going on. And I keep saying over and over, just pull over. Stop driving the car. And she goes, why are you yelling at me? And I'm like, ah. <laughs> pull the car over and use the emergency. It was like she wouldn't stop focusing on herself long enough to listen to the question that she was asking. And we see that sort of thing throughout, right? The disciples keep saying, and everybody coming around, what's going on? When's the kingdom coming? They're shocked when Jesus doesn't take the kingship over and over and over again. And from early on in his ministry, I've got to go to Jerusalem, be handed over to the Gentiles, and I'm going to die. He couldn't say it any clearer than he said it. And he says it over and over and over and over. And they just didn't want to hear it because it didn't make sense to what they believed was going to happen. But this was the plan. 
This was the plan from the beginning. The Lamb's Book of Life in the book of Revelation is called the Lamb's Book of Life written before the foundations of the world. So before God ever stepped onto the gallery of time and said, let there be light, there was a book. And the book's title was the Lamb's Book of Life. It was known that there had to be a sacrifice. God wasn't pacing around in the garden going, what do we do now? I told him not to eat of the tree, and then he ate of the tree. What an idiot. What are we going to do now? That's not what happened. Jesus going to the cross was not plan B. And yet, as we read this story, we can't help but feel our hearts sink. Now see, we know how Judas Iscariot turns out. In fact, in some of the Gospels, they'll say, when they're introducing, and here's Matthew, he was the, the and here's Peter, and, Pe- he, and here's Judas called Iscariot who's going to forsake Jesus. Who's going, but as the story unfolds in real time, he was a very trusted disciple. So trusted that he's the one that kept up with the money. If I know somebody's a scoundrel, that's not the job I'm going to give them, right? We don't look around and go, well, that guy's kind of a loser. Let's get him to count the offering. We pick the people that we trust the most, right? In fact, when Jesus says to his disciples at the Lord's Supper, and he says, one of you in this room is going to betray me, the text tells us that they said, Lord, is it me? They think that they themselves would betray Jesus before they would say, is it Judas? If we think back over the last few years, if we've looked at the book of Luke, and we've seen the stories of Jesus going into his hometown and preaching, Jesus feeding 5,000 people from just a sack lunch, Jesus saying, Hey, the foxes have a place to sleep. I got no place. The hardship and the joys, the good times and the bad, through all of that, Judas is right there with him. He's a friend. Jesus didn't love him a twelfth less than he did Peter. He's somebody that had the best preacher in the world. He had the most dynamic speaker who ever lived. He had the wisest theologian who had ever taught. He spent every waking hour with him for three years. He had the best teachers. He had the best analogies. He had the best input. Nobody would have thought this guy would have hurt Jesus. In fact, what this story proves to us is that, I hate to break this to you 80s kids, but Mr. Miyagi was wrong. Remember in that great theological tome, Karate Kid, when Mr. Miyagi says, there's no bad students, only bad teachers? Well, sorry, buddy. Because 
There was no better teacher than Jesus. We've talked about how if, I'm, if I was just at Walmart and walking through the parking lot and somebody I don't know came up and was like, you're ugly, I don't like you, you stink, you're a big poopy head, whatever, whatever. They yelled at me, screamed at me, said ugly things to me, and I don't know that guy, I'm probably not going to care, right? I'm probably going to think, that guy's a lunatic. He's lost his marbles. I'm not going to go home and cry about it. I'm not going to be upset. Someone that I know, maybe, maybe I don't know them real well, but I know sort of. I mean, I know I'm around town. If I log on to Facebook and I'm looking at the Facebook and this guy says, hey, that preacher over at North Glencoe is a loser and here's why. Even if he's right, because if you look at my life closely, you can find lots of places where I'm a loser. But even if, even if he's right, that's going to annoy me that he, this is on Facebook, right? He, that he's going out and put this. The person that I don't know at all doesn't bother me. I don't care. The person I know a little bit, that's going to bother me. But still, I'm probably not going to lose any sleep over it. I might even, if I'm in a bad mood, I might be a put a little smirky comment myself, yeah, he sucks, or something like that, just so that I, I can kind of thumb my nose back at him. If Ann says, you know what, Tom, you've really disappointed me. You, you did this, this, and this, and, and that's not right, and you know that's not right. That's going to hurt me. If Ann has the, because I've loved her deeply, that's given her the right to hurt me deeply. So I don't want us to miss the fact that as we read the book of Luke, the fact that Judas is the one who goes, they didn't call for him, Judas goes to the scribe, Pharisees, and chief priests. He stabs Jesus in the back. We don't know why. Matt and I were laughing because a lot of commentaries try to, to fill pages with. So Judas was, look, in fact, I, one of the commentaries, all it says is, and Judas uh, was looking for a king who would do this, 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 and this, and Jesus was a king who did this, 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 and this. And so uh, we need to be careful that when we come to Jesus, we, and I'm like, well, the text doesn't say any of that. That's just speculation on your part. The only motivation that we see in the text is money. The only motivation that the text explicitly tells us is, is he wanted some cash. Which hurts even more. If somebody that I love stabs me in the back because of a misunderstanding or because I did something and they, they didn't quite understand what I was doing and that made them mad or maybe I did something wrong. I, I can get all of that. But if somebody who loves me lies to me and stabs me in the back for a buck, and not even that much, 30 days wages, a month's salary, he's willing to throw Jesus under the bus for hardly anything. It's just shocking. It's jarring. But the text says that it wasn't just Judas. In this conspiracy, 
that's occurring, there's a co-conspirator. And that co-conspirator is Satan. And this is, this is crazy right here that it says, then Satan entered Judas. We're not talking about a demon. We're not talking about ill will. Satan himself entered Judas. So we gotta, we got to back up a little bit and figure out who, what, what we're talking about here because this is a strange thing to say. First of all, we know who Satan is. In fact, the word Satan is directly, comes directly out of the, the Greek word for uh, Satan, and it just means one who opposes another, an adversary, somebody who's constantly against someone else. Satan is Jesus' adversary. He's the adversary of the kingdom. He does everything in his power to overthrow it. Luke uses this same word after the 77 had returned with joy, and they were so excited. He's like, hey, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, hey, don't even worry about the demons. I saw Satan himself fall like lightning from heaven. In Revelation chapter 12, what Jesus refers to in the book of Luke is spelled out in detail. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Same guy. The devil, Satan, that ancient serpent is our enemy. The name Satan means he's the adversary, and the name devil means he's the accuser. He fights everything that we do for the Lord, and one of the ways that he does that is accusations. That's why I will say to you guys, if somebody comes to me and and is bringing gossip, and you're saying, hey, did you know what? I, I saw this guy. He's supposed to be a deacon. I saw him in the restaurant drinking a beer. I will say, be careful. Placing accusations, is that's satanic. That's the devil's work. Be careful. Because when we go around accusing each other of stuff, the enemy always, his goal is always in the 2,000 years of the church to get us fighting with each other so that we can't focus on what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus was pretty clear about what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be out there making disciples. But I can't be focused on making disciples if I'm arguing with you about whether or not I should wear a mask. I can't be about making disciples if I'm arguing with you about what kind of music we're supposed to listen to. I can't be making disciples if I'm arguing and and fighting back and forth with my brothers. I'm not doing what I'm called to do. I'm being distracted. And so the enemy works the same way then as he does today as he does then. But here in this story, we see he is personally taking over, making sure that this guy dies. And the enemy thinks he's winning. This is the darkest hour in the Bible. Here, Jesus, close ally, his friend, someone who loved him, is indwelled by Satan himself and convinced to go sell Jesus out. Judas called Iscariot. Judas is, is a Latinization of the, the Hebrew name Yehudin, and it means in Hebrew, God is thanked. 
A very, very common name. In fact, probably the most common name in the first century because Judas Maccabee uh, had been like our George Washington kind of a guy, and so he was very well known. So everybody named their kid uh, after him, just like today. Everybody names their kids uh, after TV people and people who are, are famous, same sort of thing. The name Iscariot um, is really simple. It just means that he's the guy from a community called Kerioth. And some people have tried to take Iscariot and, and have it meaning a bunch of other stuff, uh, implying that he would he would uh, turn on Jesus. But when Judas is introduced, he's, we're also told that his dad was Iscariot, which means, so it's pretty easy to believe that it's just saying he's from this community called Kerioth. It would be like, uh, hey, this is Tom, uh, Tom from Glencoe, because there's a whole bunch of Toms. And so we got Tom from Glencoe, we got kind of thing. That's, that's all that is. It's not, nothing fancy there. Um, and Judas is the first one to ask for money. Judas goes to the scribes, Pharisees. They didn't come to him, and Judas is the one who asked for the money. We know that because it says, the text says, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. In the book of John, it says he asked for money, but here in Luke, it says he agreed to do that. And the conspiracy is buttoned up. They had found a plan where they could capture him without a crowd. All Judas is supposed to do is once he knows that Jesus is alone, he's supposed to tell them where he's going to be so they can get him. The plan is made. It seems like all is lost. You can't be a king if you're dead. It doesn't seem to make sense. I was tempted, really tempted, to just stop here, have the invitation, and let's go, because I wanted us to feel the weight that Luke puts in this text by just ending it and then starting with Jesus getting ready for Passover. Because Luke wants us to go, this is, I know something that Jesus doesn't know as the story's unfolding. In the light of the week that we've had in our, our country, in our community, I want us to just kind of meditate on this and think about it. See, it's easy for us, when everything's more or less going well, to say all things work together for the good to them that love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. It's easy for us to say, well, God has a plan. He's working the plan when everything's going according to our plan. When it seems like God's plan and our plan are lined right up. My plan is to be rich, healthy, happy, kids happy, everything going according to my plan. And when it seems like God's plan is working just to ride along with mine, then it's easy for me to go, man, I love the Lord. Woo, can't get much better. But when my plan and God's plan seem to veer apart, then all of a sudden we start changing our prayer life, right? Thy will be done so long as it's what I want to do. 
In fact, I think, I think I've shared with the church, I have a friend who was a pastor and his wife left him. And so because he was a pastor and his wife left him, he lost his family. He lost his job because you can't be a pastor if your wife left you. That's just the reality. No church is going to hire you. He, so he lost his wife. He lost his job. He lost his home. Uh, he was emasculated by the fact that his wife left him for somebody else. The whole thing, he's just going through a horrible time, and I called him, and he answered the phone, and when he realized it was me, he said, let me just stop you right there. He said, if you quote Romans eight twenty eight to me, I will get in my car, drive to North Carolina, and punch you square in the face. Because when things are falling apart, we don't want to hear, well, you know, everything works together. Like a kitten poster. Just hang in there, biggin. Luke leaves us with, it ain't working out the way any of the disciples had planned. Nobody expected that one of their own was going to stab Jesus in the back. And so I want us to, this week to meditate on the fact that God's ways are not our ways, neither are his thoughts our thoughts, and we need to let God be God. When we're watching the news and we're like, what? That's when, that's when it means something to say, I'm going to rest in who God is, that he's in control. When, like what happened with me Wednesday, I, Wednesday, you know, everything was blowing up in D.C. I, stupid me, I was sitting in my office reading a 3,000-year-old book because I had to teach on Obadiah, and as I told you guys last week, ain't nobody ever preached on Obadiah, so I'm having to figure this out for myself, and, I'm ne- and, and so my phone's going off, and I'm, I'm looking to make sure it's not one of my kids broke down on the side of the road, but other than that, I'm kind of ignoring it, and then as Wednesday progresses, it's like I keep blowing up, and I'm, the messages aren't making a whole lot of sense because people are like, what is that about? Ah! And so that when I finally look at, do look at the news, I'm like, what in the world is this? Why is there some Viking guy standing at Pelosi's desk? Or when we go, hey, let's get back to Sunday school on Sunday, and then on Tuesday, the CDC goes, it's the highest numbers we've ever had. We're all going to die. Those are not the times when we feel comfortable going, well, God, you're just in control. All things work together. But that's exactly when we need to be doing that. When the car won't crank and my hair doesn't have any bounce and everything's falling apart is exactly when leaning back into the sovereignty of God is so important. The idea that we are in control of our destiny is an illusion. You could be pulling out of the parking lot of this church and get hit by a Mack truck and be ushered into eternity. You could get, find a place, oh, that's weird, what's going on there? And go to the doctor and the doctor say, the tests have come back, I'm so sorry. You could get a cough that just won't go away. We aren't in control of anything. but we know the one who is. The rest of this story plays out 
where Satan is suckered and he is God's unwilling lackey because the wickedness of Judas ends up being turned by God so that death could die. Right now, in this story, Satan is like, yeah, got him. Ha ha. Woo. Well played. I got you biggin'. He's celebrating. He's entered into Judas. He's convinced one of Jesus' allies to sell him out. I'm about to win. And it plays out exactly the way he planned. The conspiracy is afoot. And yet God knew what he was doing from end to end. Nothing escaped his attention. Nothing escaped his plan. He is sovereign. And so as we go through our week, let's think about, let's meditate on, let's kind of percolate in, let's crockpot in. I'm trying to think of any other way I can say it. Let's focus in this week on the fact that God knows what he's doing. And next week, we're going to pick the story up where the counter conspiracy is kicked off. Because Jesus, from the beginning, tells his disciples Hey, we're going to have a meal, but I'm going to change what this Passover meal means for all of eternity. Father God, Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that in your wisdom, you planned that this sermon would fall on a week when we all are confused and afraid. So Lord, I pray that just as Jesus leaned into your plan, just as Jesus rested in you, that we would do the same. Lord, we would recognize that you are God and we are not. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.